Well, good morning. My name is Roger Ross, as Deb mentioned, and it's my privilege to be here with you today. I'm so grateful that Terry would allow me to come and fill her pulpit over the course of the month of May. Uh, I can see how you like to put your pastors on a pedestal here. This is really <laughs> quite amazing. I've never been in something quite like this, I don't think. Uh, and uh, I am so grateful that you have had the foresight uh, and shown the care to provide a sabbatical for Terry. Uh, I can only imagine how hard she works week in and week out and has for many years here. Uh, and you know how blessed you are to have her as your senior pastor. You've got the best pastor in Missouri, right? So you are very blessed as a congregation. Thank you for being generous and blessing her back so that she can have some time to get renewed and refreshed and restored for the next season of ministry here at Salem. I also want to uh, offer my thanks uh, to Deb and to Tim and others that have helped me, the whole staff that have helped uh, me to get prepared to be here for this month. Uh, I, I have to admit, I forgot my robe, all right? I'll just say that up front. Uh, I forgot it. I was told I forgot it. I, I figured, though, if I wore a, a tie that is first place St. Louis Cardinal Red, that I'd be okay. Is that all right? Uh, so uh, I do want to say that uh, it's my privilege to serve as the Director of Congregational Excellence in the Missouri Conference, which means that I live in Columbia, uh, but serve the entire conference. There are about 800 United Methodist churches uh, in uh, the state of Missouri, and I have some responsibility to each one of them. My specific job is to help start new churches, new places for new people, and to transform existing churches across the state. So I'm traveling a lot these days. I've been in this role for about a year and nine months. Before that, I was a real pastor. Uh, I served uh, churches in Illinois uh, for many years, uh, most recently in Springfield, Illinois. I was a senior pastor at First United Methodist Church. Uh, my wife is not going to be with me today or for the next two uh, Sundays. She works as a medical technologist uh, at the Women's and Children's Hospital in Columbia, and so she's working today and next Sunday. The Sunday after that is a graduation in our family that she'll be attending, and then the last Sunday of the month, she'll be here with me. However, I have someone very special with me today who rarely is a part of these kinds of experiences, and that's my mom, who is right down there. Can you wave, Mom? She's there. All right. So that means an awful lot to me. We, uh, our kids are in college. We have two college-age kids who are finishing up finals right now, and so that's kind of who I am. Uh, it's, a, it's really a, a great privilege to be here, but I know it's a little weird because, you know, we haven't really met and gotten to know each other yet, and uh, it reminds me uh, of the pastor who got sick all of a sudden, uh, and so she called a friend of hers, uh, and he came in at the last minute uh, to be able to speak for her. He got up and said, look, uh, I know this is a little bit weird. Just, just think of it this way. Remember when you were kids and you were out in the summertime playing baseball and maybe a ball came off the bat and, in an errant way. It hit the window and you didn't have time to fix the window. So you just put up a piece of cardboard. So the pastor said, just think of me as a piece of cardboard. So he went on and preached a great message. Afterwards, uh, people were filing out, uh, shaking his hand. And one little old lady came out and said, oh, pastor, you're not a piece of cardboard. You're a real pain. <laughs> so I'll let you decide what kind of pain I am today, uh, later on. Deb, you share the scripture with us, please. 
Our scripture this morning is from the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. Once more, Jesus visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went and he went to Jesus and he begged him to heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and he departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, the servant said to him yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming to Judea from Galilee. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Son Hudson woke up about two hours before he was typically going to wake up. Got up, fed him, put him back down, and um, went back to bed. And I was just drifting off to sleep when I heard him snoring, which the snoring was exaggerated. So I thought he was joking around about not having to get up with the baby. I came back in the room. I was still making the fake snoring that she thought I was making. And um, she knew something was wrong. So, you know, I'm nudging him and he's not responding and I'm nudging him harder and um, realized that he was not responding in any way. When the EMTs arrived, it was just organized chaos, I guess would be the best way to put it. Um, they worked on him for, for I think like 45 minutes before they were able to get his heart started again. And even that was, um, they stopped when, in the middle of it and um, took him to the hospital. So they still didn't have a heartbeat when they took him outside and um, they didn't get his heartbeat back until about five minutes out from the hospital. They put me in a coma for about a week, put me on ice. Uh, my brain was without, without oxygen for 45 minutes, so they had to put me on ice, and um, I stayed there for about 12 days. Everything that the doctors were telling me was bad news. The doctors told me that there was zero chance that there would not be some impact on his brain. As it turns out, I had what they called sudden death syndrome. They still do not really know what happened. My heart just quit working one night. And so Friday was really when he started cognitively. He was able to respond. Um, he knew who I was. He was able to answer questions. The nurses and doctors were asking him how many kids he had and things like that. And so that was almost a week afterwards. And then after that, he rapidly <laughs> improved. And we got moved out of the ICU and everything. I've always knew that prayer was strong. Um, but this has shown me that it is much stronger than I ever thought it would be. Um, the amount of support and prayers that have come to us uh, has just been overwhelming. People that have, that have come up to me or written notes and cards that have said, look man, you know, this, this faith thing that you got going on with your church, you know, it's made me and my family pray for you and we've been praying for you now. Through all of this, 
God was everywhere. Um, that night, um, you know, in the midst of all of the chaos and everything going on, I was perfectly aware of how at peace I was. I mean, I wasn't panicked or anything like that. I mean, obviously I was worried and wasn't sure what was happening and, you know, scared for my husband, but I was very calm, I think. <laughs> um, but I remember feeling comforted throughout the whole thing. Um, I shouldn't have come out from what a lot of people say. I shouldn't be talking from what a lot of people say. From a faith perspective, it's obviously strengthened my bond with Christ. I know that my perspective is different now. You know, we've we've talked about moving out to the country and, you know, we have all these pipe dreams of living out with, you know, not as close to neighbors and things like that. And now I can't even, I can't even imagine that. I can't. So, and everybody just kind of gathered our family up and took care of us. You know, I think that every day means something different going forward. I know that, that waking up, you know, specifically, there's a, there's a prayer of thanks and thankfulness for being here. Um, obviously, Easter is no different, you know. Um, being able to wake up and, and celebrate Christ and, and the resurrection is, is, is a gift any day of the week, you know, um, regardless of pending circumstances or other things that might have happened in the past. But um, yeah, you know, I think this year is a little more special, you know, as is every day. I think. Well, that was just a flat-out miracle. Uh, I love stories like that that, uh, that David just shared that are really resurrection stories. Uh, they show the supernatural power of God that, are, that is active in an ordinary person's life. Uh, I ran into another one of those just recently. Last weekend, my family drove up to Kankakee, Illinois, to see our daughter Jane, who was singing in the Olivet Nazarene University's Proclamation Gospel Choir. Wow, I got to tell you, a 90-student interracial choir that absolutely knocked it out of the park. Oh my gosh, they belted out song after song with a gospel joy and enthusiasm. It made you want to stand, clap, cry, laugh, shout amen, which, of course, you could do there because it wasn't Methodist. <laughs> that was on Saturday night. On Sunday morning, uh, my daughter invited us to go with her to the church that she and several of her friends go to. Uh, we'd never been to that church, uh, but I thought, you know, there is no way that this service is going to hold a candle to what we had just experienced the night before. I mean, it's, it's not that it's going to be bad, but it just, I mean, that was a mountaintop experience. And so I tried to dial back my expectations as we went to this service. And, you know, on almost any other weekend, that would have been true. But not last Sunday. Our daughter had told us how much she and her friends loved the senior pastor at this church, Andrew Twibell. He recently had brain cancer. We had come back to serve the church. And then she warned us, you know, sometimes he struggles with his words. Uh, he's gotten a lot better in the last few months, but when he first came back, his wife had to stand with him in the pulpit and speak for him at times because sometimes the words just wouldn't come. So that intrigued me. As we arrived, uh, the people, of course, were very friendly, uh, and the music was wonderful, just as the music is wonderful here. This is beautiful. Thank you so much. Uh, but what caught me off guard was the power of the message. 
The pastor got up to speak. He said, good morning. My name is Andrew. And you could tell he was focusing very intently on what he wanted to say. But he, he had this expansive, beautiful, loving spirit that was just winsome. And you couldn't help but lean in and listen to what he had to say. He was in the midst of a new series, a sermon series for skeptics called Jesus Can't. Uh, it's for all the people who doubt that Jesus can do the things that the Bible says or that people of faith claim. You know, can Jesus do miracles? Can Jesus heal people? Well, some would just reject that out of hand, say oh, that, that's just a bunch of baloney. Uh, others would say, well, you know, maybe that could have happened 2,000 years ago, but that can't happen now. It's not possible. It's not logical. Jesus can't. Now, of course, there is that one place in the Bible, in the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus says, all things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. So which is it? You know, can Jesus do this stuff or can't he? Now, this is what the royal official, the passage that Deb read just a moment ago, had to ask himself. You know, his son is on the verge of death and he had run out of options, which, by the way, is just the kind of crisis point that often opens people up to faith. The word on the street at the time was that Jesus can do miracles because he had just turned water into wine uh, at a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee, which is in the same region not that long before. Now, as far as we know, this guy wasn't there. He didn't see it happen himself, but he'd heard from reliable sources. And he had a deep need. So he went to Jesus and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Now, Jesus' response, if you recall in the passage, seemed a little, little, little callous, actually. Uh, unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. Undaunted by that, the father pleads on a more personal level. Now, imagine with me in your mind's eye what this scene was like. Here is this man coming to Jesus just with trembling lips and tears in his eyes saying, Sir, come down. Come down before my child dies. And at that point, Jesus rather abruptly says, Go. Your son will live. Interestingly, uh, Jesus kind of puts this in a way we don't expect. I mean, I suppose Jesus could have said, I don't need to go. I don't need to see your son. I've seen you. And I've already sent my healing. But that's not the way he says it. However, what comes next in this passage is the key verse. Check this out. The man looked at Jesus, and the man took Jesus at his word and departed. He needed no other proof. He just took Jesus at his word. And sure enough, on his way home, his servants met him to tell him that his son had been healed. 
It turns out the deadly fever left him at exactly the moment that Jesus said, your son will live. Not surprisingly, he and his whole household came to faith in Jesus. Now, there are a couple of key truths that this event established early in Jesus' ministry because this is in the early part of the Gospel of John as it's telling the story of Jesus' life and ministry. The first is the universal nature of Jesus' mission. He didn't just come for the Jewish people. He wasn't only a Jewish Messiah. He came for all people, which included the Gentiles, like the royal official and his son, and people like you and me if we're not Jewish. Second, it revealed the nature of authentic faith. The man simply took Jesus at his word. That's faith. And that's what Pastor Andrew did. In January of 2018, he was diagnosed with brain cancer at 34. It was stage four glioblastoma cancer, the worst kind you can get. The doctor told him, this is terminal brain cancer. Terminal. His wife was devastated. Their two small children had no idea what was really happening to their father. His church, as you can imagine, was also devastated. But they began to pray in defiance of that death sentence. We have a big God, they said to each other. It's, it's possible for God to do what medical science can't, what medical science can't even understand. So thousands of people prayed for him. They stood in the gap for him. And after two brain surgeries and chemo and radiation and intensive therapy, Andrew is getting stronger. You know, the average lifespan for someone with stage four glioblastoma brain cancer is 9 to 12 months, but Andrew is now close to 16 months, and he has been declared, as of his last doctor visit, cancer-free. It's stunning. I mean, the doctors are speechless. They, they literally cannot explain it, and some have even whispered the word, miracle. Now, I know that's a miracle. Because I know what happened to my close friend, Steve Bartz. In late April 2016, Steve was diagnosed with the same thing, stage four glioblastoma brain cancer. He too was a man of deep faith. He had been an elder uh, in this massive mega church that he'd been a part of for over 20 years. Steve had the purest gift of wisdom that I have ever seen on this planet. Pastors and church boards from literally around the world would come to seek Steve's wisdom when they got tied into knots that they couldn't untie. Steve immediately had brain surgery and then went through that chemo and radiation protocol. He responded amazingly well at first. And although thousands of people prayed for him and believed with him that he would have a miracle of his own, especially his deeply devoted wife and his two faithful, beautiful young adult daughters. 
the story turned out differently for Steve. On March the 15th, 2017, Steve's earthly life ended. A month after his 60th birthday. 11 months after he'd been diagnosed. Now, I just have to ask you, have you ever wondered, what's up with this? Why does God heal some people and not others? I mean, that's a tough question. It really defies easy answers, but I think that there are some things that we can know. First, it's not because some people have more faith. Jesus says all we need is faith the size of a mustard seed, a tiny little seed, and we could actually move mountains. Not about the size or the amount of faith. The, the royal official in Scripture today was not known as a man of great faith, if he had any at all before he came to see Jesus. He, he was just a desperate father. Now, parents, if you have a child who's sick, or God forbid, dying, what would you not do to save your child's life? I mean, I would spend every last dime. I would search out every last option. I would leave no stone unturned to do whatever I possibly could to bring about some kind of healing for my child. But this father was not a pillar of faith. He was just willing to earnestly seek Jesus and then take him at his word. And by the way, we don't know anything about the faith of his son or if he had any at all, and it was the son who got healed. I don't think David, who told a story by video a few moments ago, uh, would say that he has more faith or had more faith than anyone else. Uh, in fact, uh, his healing came when he was in an induced coma, completely unaware of what had happened to him. Last Sunday, Pastor Andrew confessed to his congregation, I, I, I have to say, he said, through the first 34 years of my life, I believed in the power of Christ to change a person's life. I believed that Jesus could bring salvation into someone's heart and life. I believed that Jesus could lead people to grow in holiness, a love of God, and a love of people. But when it came to believing in healing and miracles, my faith was weak. It took brain cancer for me to believe that God still does miracles today. Loved ones, God doesn't heal some people because they have more faith. It's not about having more faith. And secondly, it's not, about, it's not because God doesn't care. Some people assume that God doesn't heal certain people because God doesn't care about them. But that is absolutely contrary to the very core of the gospel. I mean, just the chapter before we read about this royal official and his son, Jesus says in the third chapter of John, for God so loved the world. You know this verse. 
that whoever believes in him, he sent his only son, so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. God doesn't turn his back on us in times of great need, just the opposite. The psalmist wrote in the Old Testament of the Bible, in the 34th Psalm, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. It's, it's not about having more faith. And it's not about God not caring. It's about knowing God's heart. God is in the resurrection business. Easter is absolute proof of that. Sometimes God resurrects people to new life here. Sometimes God resurrects people to new life in heaven. Healing comes one way or the other. And of course, when it's not the way we want it, when it's not in this life, it can be very painful. Some of you may still be thinking in the back of your mind, well, yes, Roger, but why? But why are some people healed and others not? And I just have to be gut honest with you right here. I don't know. I don't know why David and Pastor Andrew received a miracle here and now, and my dear friend Steve Bartz did not, although he was still healed. I don't know why my dad, who was diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer in April of 2012, died just a few weeks later on May the 5th, seven years ago today. I prayed for a miracle harder than ever in my life at that time. But my dad was not healed in the here and now. I don't know why. And I don't think that I will know why this side of heaven. But I have learned a couple of things along the way. First, God is free. That no matter how hard we try, we cannot control God. There are no words we can pray, no behaviors we can follow, no sacrifices that we can make that can force God's hand. God is fierce and untamed, the Lion of Judah, who cannot be put on a leash. If we could, by our thoughts or our words or our actions, manipulate God to do whatever we wanted, we would reduce God to a genie in a bottle who just grants our every wish. And I think we all know that would not be a true God. Our God is sovereign. Our God is the ruler over all. When our God decides to do something supernatural, it has to be at God's initiative, for God's purposes, in God's timing, and it's not something that we can control. At the same time, God loves to bring new life. 
It's in God's very nature. Just look at the creation around you and think of what it was like a month ago. Miracles are really just resurrection stories, one after another after another. If you want to see a miracle, in most cases, you have to be dead or nearly dead. You have to be in a situation, humanly speaking, that's beyond hope. There's no other way out. You need something supernatural to happen in your life. And maybe some of you know what I'm talking about. Maybe your marriage feels like it's on life support right now and it's taking some of its last breaths. Perhaps you're grieving over the death of a loved one or of a divorce and you simply can't see how you will ever get through the sadness that surrounds you right now. Maybe you're missing a relationship with a close friend that seems broken beyond repair. You just don't know what to do. Perhaps you know someone who's boiling in bitterness or is trapped in an addiction that's pulling them under from the inside and they seem to be without hope in this world. Maybe there's some issue with greed that no matter how much you have, it's never enough. So you have to get more and then more and then more. Or perhaps over time, you've just been so busy. You know, you've absorbed so many hits that your heart has grown cold and hard. And you don't know how to find your way back to a place where you feel human again. Or maybe you've just been hurt so badly your mind is filled with the darkness of revenge. And all you can think about is how you're going to get back at that person, what you're going to say and what you're going to do so that they get their just reward. It consumes you. You may be in such a dead zone right now that you don't even see a way out apart from something supernatural happening in your life. And if that's the case, then I've got some good news for you this morning. God is in the resurrection business. He still is. He still is. You don't need to have more faith than anyone else. You don't have to worry about whether God cares about you. God does. Your only concern is whether you will take Jesus at his word. Jesus said all things are possible with God. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Not I was, not I will be. Present tense, right now, in this moment, I am the resurrection and the life. Marriages can be resurrected. I've seen it. Grief can give way to new life and joy. Relationships can be restored. Greed can turn into generosity. Addictions can be healed by grace. Hard hearts can be softened. Revenge can be redeemed by love. I've seen every one of these things happen in people's lives. In some cases, my own. Loved ones, 
These are the miracles that God longs to bring into your life and mine. Healings of all different kinds. But you may be holding back a little. You know, maybe you're afraid that Jesus can't. Or Jesus won't. At least not for you. What I want to share with you is that Jesus can and Jesus wants to. All things are possible with God. Now, sometimes resurrection miracles will happen in the here and now. Sometimes resurrection miracles may take a while to work out in a person's life. And sometimes those miracles happen in heaven. But wherever you're experiencing darkness, wherever you may feel like you are near death, hear these words. I am the resurrection and the life. I can. I love you. I want to. These are the words of Jesus. Our only decision is if we are willing to take Jesus at his word. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and just give us that little seed of faith. That's all we need. We don't have to have more faith than anybody else. Just the faith that you want to give us. Spark it in our hearts right now. Teach us, Lord, how much you care about us by infusing with us, in us your resurrection life. Show your power in those dead places in our lives and bring us to new life. We offer our lives into your hands so that you can do that very work. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.